Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This week, I have Chris Miroff on the show. He's CEO, founder, serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Uh, he's talking about his new book, The Empathy Revolution, uh, in this uh, podcast, and he talks deeply about how to get your team to be more unified, to become uh, more effective, more profitable, more amazing, and how as a leader you can do that, how they can get them to understand why that their roles are so important and how to feel more fulfilled in what they do each and every day. So if that's something, if you manage teams and you want to see better results within that team and see each one of those person's lives increased and improved, this is the episode for you. So listen all. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. And my guest today is the CEO and founder, serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. His upcoming book, Lead, Discovering the Heart of Authentic Leadership, which comes out here in October. Um, and in that book, he shares uh, his philosophy and a practical guide on why the current model of leadership isn't working. He addresses that in order to retain employees, talent, engage, you know, engagement, um, the employees must grasp the vision and align with the values laid out from top down. When they understand why, when the employees understand why, they feel more fulfilled and more bought into the entire journey for the company. And the goal here today, when we welcome Chris Miroff onto the show, is to get deeper into Exactly. If you're a business owner out there and you're not seeing your employees and your team members as absolute wells of awesomeness and getting deeper into how to unlock that awesomeness in them, you need to listen to the show because Chris is going to crank in today. He's written books about this. Uh, I really want to go deep into this subject. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Absolutely, man. So I want to start off here with a quote I saw on Instagram when I was doing a little research for you and I loved it. So I want to have the listeners listen and kind of give you a, a framework of what we're going to talk about. So Chris says, Embrace the idea and dare to move towards unleashing your people's greatness. Together, they have the power to make your company thrive far beyond what you could ever do alone. Think about that, listeners. So often we get started in business and we want to be like, all right, well, I can do it all alone, this, this stoic pioneer, and I can do it all myself and then I'll get all the credit and deep down that's what we want, right? That's not what we're going to tell people, right? I'm going to get all the credit. Everything's going to be amazing. And, and everyone can pat me on the back and say, you're just an absolute savage. This is amazing. But you get to a certain point in business where, I don't know, for me, it was about the million dollar mark where I was like, you know what? I can't do it alone. And I had to face that ugly truth, which turned out to be one of the most amazing things I ever had to face. So I'm going to stop talking and have Chris talk now. So Chris, tell us a little bit of how you got into uh, helping people with this, especially this uh, line of thinking and how that became reality to you. Yes, well... Uh, like most stories, I think uh, it comes from a place of pain. Um, and, uh, you know, when you when you work really hard, when you pour yourself in as most entrepreneurs or founders, 
uh, can attest, you, you pour your heart and soul into something. And then um, whether you realize it uh, personally or professionally, you might hit a wall at some point. And really, that's where my story starts is I uh, found some great success uh, in business. Uh, first four years of my business, we grew from three people to 75 people, uh, moved to number one in the marketplace. Nice. Um, and in that process, I walked into it um, with a lot of chips on my shoulder, um, some conscious, some subconscious. Uh, I had a bunch of metrics that I really wanted to kind of judge myself on. And from a business standpoint, hit every single one, uh, felt really good. Uh proving um, my worth, my value as a businessman, business owner, um, but left me really emotionally depleted. And um, I know it's one of those things that if somebody told me this story as I'm just launching out of my journey, I'd be like, whatever, you know, at the end of the day, like I'd, I'd rather be in your shoes. Well, um, I, I'm telling you that there's just something missing um, when you have to make a trade uh, for business success. And so I had a bunch of people that really warned me, counseled me, um, but until I felt it myself uh, and really had to make a decision on who I was going to be, um, it, it's just something you have to, I think, live through and and feel. And so that feeling for me was uh, my best friend who helped me start the business uh, resigned suddenly. Ugh. And this is on the heels of, of great business success. And what I thought was a very um, uh, great organizational culture. And yet I got a two week notice, uh, from really in a way, one of the founders with me, those first three employees. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what happened? Like, why wouldn't you bring me along on the journey? Like I already knew, uh, that he was going to go back into the vocation that he had before, uh, at some point I pulled him out of uh, ministry and, and I knew at some point he'd want to get back there. He just had a heart and, and passion for, for people in ministry. And so I knew that was going to happen, but man, to be left out of the process, uh, yeah. which was a nine month process for him, felt like a, a stab in the back. And so, um, that was kind of a low point for me to, to, to feel like I'm alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that aloneness was confirmed. So I was meeting with a guy weekly. It's kind of a mentor. Um, and, and I was trying to do some emotional work, um, on myself, even though I was kind of unaware of it. Um, but we would meet and talk about things like empathy and um, I grew up in a home where empathy just wasn't, um, modeled for me. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, like up in new England, it's kind of like, Hey, suck it up. Um, you know, dry it up, uh, pick yourself up, like, you know, move on, um, past emotion and really just focus on what you're going to do next. And so growing up in that environment, I just really wasn't familiar with this uh, concept of empathy. You can ask my wife how terrible I was whenever she would bring anything emotional to me you know, with the best, uh, intentions, I'd just be like, well, here's how you don't have to feel that way. Really in a way, belittling, uh, those emotions. Yeah. Um, and so I was already on a personal journey of trying to figure out what would that look like, uh, both at home and at work when again, my best friend left, uh, the company. And I remember meeting with this guy and he said, Hey, you know, is there someone on the planet you would share your deepest hopes or deepest fears or deepest hurts with? And of course I lied and I'm like, absolutely. I've got my wife, I've got my friends, I've got a bunch of people that I can lean into, but I knew that wasn't true. And so on the way home that day, I really kind of, uh, and, and what I do with emotion is I, I move it to my safe space. My safe space is just to be angry. Ugh. Um, and so I, I'm in my, uh, I call it my fear shelter. Um, but I'm in my fear shelter and I'm just raging angry on the drive home, um, starts with traffic and the drivers and then it goes to jason my best friend then it goes to this guy he's asking me these questions 
to my family and ultimately lands uh, on me. Uh, yeah. I struggle with aspects of guilt. And when I feel guilty, what do I do? I just turn it into anger. So long story short, as a 42-year-old man who had accomplished business-wise anything and everything that I could have imagined, um, I cried for the first time as an adult uh, on that car ride home and just realized that I was emotionally alone and very isolated, uh, that I had created a prison of my own making. Um, and uh, that prison uh, kept everyone uh, at arm's length. And by doing that, I also realized something else, um, that I couldn't grow that business anymore because I had created a glass ceiling because I was incredibly necessary in absolutely every aspect uh, of that business. So that was my low aha moment. And it took me about 12 to 18 months to figure out what kind of a man I was going to be um, for the rest of my life to my employees, to my wife, to my kids. Um, and that's been my journey for the last uh, seven years uh, is to figure that out. And I love that, Chris. I'm, I'm Wow. So many things resonate with me when it comes to my journey as well, right? So often we start businesses like this and they become our entire focus. We forget about family, yes. we forget about health, we forget about everything. All it is is about winning, right? Because the last thing we want to do <laughs> right. at the end is be like, you know what? We spent all this time, we robbed all this time from our families and we have nothing to show yep. for it. Or we have all this money, but exactly. nobody wants to be around us. We feel like islands. And as men, it's a very common, common <laughs> yeah. thing. So I'd love to unpack with you those, those uh, years you've been working on getting out of that, that mindset, that old mindset into where yeah. you are now. And then direct us into your book, you know, and what is at the heart of leadership? Like, what is the core of that? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it was, uh, for me, this uh, journey out was not, uh, I think, um, I was already wrestling with empathy. I think it was more um, really wrestling with vulnerability. Mm. And uh, again, growing up, uh, this concept of leadership is uh, not just at work, but at home, was this idea that I needed to be strong and confident uh, in order for people to want to follow me. Um, and I think there's a place for that, but this idea of like, never let them see a sweat and you, you, you always make sure that you're the, you know, first to work and the last to go home and that you're, you're willing to do anything and everything. Um, but at the end of the day, I wasn't willing to do everything. I wasn't willing to be vulnerable, um, in any way. And so, yeah, man, it's been seven years and it is still a daily struggle mm. to figure out what, what vulnerability looks like. But once I, I kind of, I made up my mind, like everything else in life, um, I am a pretty determined guy. And, oh. uh, and so it really was baby steps to figure out like, how do I expose something that I don't want to expose to somebody, um, who might be able to reject me in that Ooh. moment. Um, and, uh, it was baby steps. It was yeah. like, yeah, thinking back on it now, like those first few were so like minor. I, if I, if I thought about that today, I, I don't think of them as like a uh, big task that I had to do. I think of them as so minor. Like, what was I so afraid of? Yeah. But at the time they were like, uh, you know, summoning Everest to yeah, me. It was mountains. like impossible. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a lot of, uh, of uh, unhealthy thinking uh, as it relates to like my value Ooh. as a person and my value. I had it based in what I did for people and how I took care of them. And uh, if I stopped doing that, if I somehow needed them to take care of me, I thought they'd all run screaming and think this guy, man, what a mess. Uh, I can't yeah. follow this guy anywhere. And uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, slowly but surely, I realized that in my weakness, um, I am strong mm. and uh, bringing um, other people in to fill in the gaps of who I am uh, and what I can do has been uh, life altering, life saving um, for me. And 
again, that glass ceiling of the business. Cause that's really where I started with it. It's uh, at, at work trying to kind of figure out like, how do I show up in a way that allows other people in mm-hmm. when they started taking those steps with me, it really showed me this, uh, this path that I needed to start to take, which was uh, to try every day to become absolutely unnecessary. And, uh, that. man, that's a tough one when you're Dude. the one, when you're the founder, you're the, the guy, the engine behind everything. And you're like, well, what's going to happen to this thing? If I remove the engine, we'll come to find out I'm not the engine. Uh, I'm only a small cog in a much larger, uh, company and, and uh, much larger gear. So that's, that's kind of the journey that I'm still on is like, how do I continually work how to become unnecessary uh, every single day. I love that, dude. I often say, how do you fire yourself fast, right? As, as the exactly. other fire yourself. And, and it's something that seems so, so crazy and so alien to most business owners because they, they own their jobs. Yeah, yeah. I did for most of my life. Right. I own my job. And as I said, you know, if I can't go on vacation, my wife, she's from Germany and they do little different things when it comes to vacations, right? She's like, we're going to, I remember the first time she's like, we're going to go away for two weeks. And I'm like, well, I'm like two weeks, <laughs> like the whole place is going to burn down. Everything's going to come back right. to rubble. You know the crazy That's part? Right. Came back. It was fine. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Here. Well, was that a kick in the ego though, Chris? I'll tell you that much because oh. I wanted to be needed. I wanted to be the most important. Yeah. And then I'd sit there and say, wait a minute. So if that's possible, could I go three weeks? And a year later, it was three weeks. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, and it came back and things yes. were stable. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is possible. Yeah. So is it possible for me not to have to be there every day? Is that possible? You know, and again, identity, you got into that earlier. Like, who am I if I'm not the one running the yeah. show all the time? So now you have to re-identify yourself and you have to be like, well, for me, I was, you know, a designer, I was a project manager, I was a business owner. And now all of a sudden I'm none of those <laughs> or a business owner, but no, I'm not right. the project manager, not the designer. And I'm like, so who am I? <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's the hard part, especially as men to wrestle with that identity and who are you next? And if you don't have this as your, you go to a cocktail party and they say, Chris, what do you do? And you're like, I do X, Y, and Z. That's an identity. You know, for me, I'm a designer. Yep. I would buy designer clothes. I bought an Audi, so I look like a designer. Like, I'd live the ethos of it. It's ridiculous, but yeah, I did it anyway, right? And then all of a sudden, I wasn't. Yeah. Now I'm like, what do I do? Do I get a bicycle? Like, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> that identity is so, so critical. And I've seen it even in my my parents. They're in their mid-70s. And, you know, they, they were uh, uh, parents uh, in their identity. They were uh, in the corporate structure as, as uh, part of their identity, they were grandparents mm-hmm. here for the longest time as their identity. Well, now the grandkids are all older. So, you know, they're struggling with identity yeah. um, and really that identity helps frame a value. Yes. And so how you show that's, up. that's how I'm over to, that's how I'm kind of able to overcome some of the ego that does show up each and every day yeah. is like, well, what do I want my identity to be? And so we really talk about this idea of significance is greater than success and, and how we show up as significant for somebody, um, is my identity. And, um, and that, that just changes now, uh, every interaction with, uh, employees, family, with friends, because now I can show up as significant. It doesn't matter what my job title is. You're, you're absolutely right. We, we often kind of break down our identity and, and what we do. Um, but what if we broke it down to, uh, who we are, like who? how we show up for people, uh, in every day. And that significance for me is based on the ability to display, uh, and utilize, uh, what I call soft skills or human skills, uh, kindness and compassion and loyalty and patience and faithfulness yeah. and all those things that are incredibly binding when it comes to human relationships. And I can be, I can be significant even in the face of 
maybe this idea of a lack of success uh, business-wise or even as a, a husband or a dad, but I can still be significant um, in those moments. And so that's really kind of the, the step process that was for me anyway, is to figure my way back, figure out my way back was to figure out how to be significant uh, for the people in my life. I love that. And I love how you make that, that, that clear distinction. It's not about you being better than or more significant than somebody else. It's not a self-fulfilling significance. This is how do I become more significant for someone else? Huge gap there. If you think about the six yeah. human needs, the third one is significance. We all need it as humans, but is it you to be significant to somebody in a way that I'm better than, or is it a way that, or I'm trying to beat you a competitor, that kind of thing? Or is it the fact that you're like, I'm here, Chris, and yeah. you're trying to be more significant for me. It's That's a right. big shift. It's a gigantic shift. You mentioned the word uh, vulnerability. My wife and I have had deep conversation about this with English being her mm-hmm. second language. She understands words a little differently than I do with only having one language. So she talks about vulnerability and we broke that word down after a while. And she's like, you say you're vulnerable all the time. And that's like a superpower of yours. And I was like, yeah, I would say that. She goes, but with a vulnerability, if you have say a suit of armor on and you have a vulnerability, that means you have a weak point. So someone could exploit that weak point. They could weaponize, in this case, they could weaponize something they know about you that you've shared. And that could be what makes you vulnerable. But if you're telling the truth or you're being honest, are you vulnerable? Yeah, that is not for me vulnerable. So vulnerable is exposing something that somebody can weaponize. betray me with. Yeah, weaponize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because betrayal is is one of my uh, it's it is my greatest fear relationally yep. is betrayal, and so um, you can see why vulnerability is like yep. ugh, it's the worst possible scenarios to expose. And so I can tell you something um, that might be vulnerable, but that same information to another person wouldn't. Yep. Um, and so it's, it's like, I guard things in, um, you know, how you have like a, a castle and then you have like the inner castle and you might even have a, a keep. Well, that's kind of the way I, I am with information or where the, the deepest parts of who I am. There are chambers and I can let certain people into certain, yeah. uh, chambers, but I won't let them in uh, any further. And so trust is a huge component yep. of vulnerability and it really helps, um, for me uh, to figure out what is appropriate vulnerability. And that appropriate vulnerability is really based on how, how much I'm pursuing trust with that person. It's not necessarily dependent on them. It's more dependent on my pursuit in really establishing that trust with them. That makes perfect sense. No, totally. Um, Oh, we we had that deep conversation about that and she's like, well, you share things on podcasts and and, then when you're speaking on stages, whatever. Um, And I'm like, I don't find anything that I share to your point. I only share the things that I have that they can't be weaponized. If someone says, hey, you said this on stage or I saw it online, I'd be like, yeah, so? Like, you're going to use right. it against me? That's the truth. The truth always wins. Yeah, right. It's, that's it, right. There's no, there's no fear in that. So I, was, I personally was using the word wrong, right? Because it sounded like a fun yeah. buzzword, but I think you're using it in the correct <laughs> way because you honestly understand what the fact is some of that might be able to be weaponized and you're not comfortable with that. And that's perfectly fine. There's no right or wrong to it. Uh, that's right. It's really, it's an interesting, uh, folks. So let's shift to the book. So let's get into yeah. the heart of leadership. So I'd love for you to open up that, um, that conversation about what you feel is the heart of leadership and how leaders can do a better job of implementing, um, either structure or vision or whatever it might be to a company yeah. to get this thing launched. Absolutely. So first it starts with kind of the definition of leadership. And for me, again, growing up for most of my adult life, uh, really, that definition was to be strong, confident, uh, an amazing problem solver, uh, phenomenal in crisis, to be able to 
manage those things as they come in waves. Um, I do have these superpowers that allow me to show up in that way. But really what I found is that just that led me to be, again, necessary uh-huh. um, and and, uh, and and required. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing. It's just that now you're the glass ceiling of your organization yep. that can only grow as, as far as, as you can uh, take it. Yep. Um, but really wanting to be an entrepreneur and not an entrepreneur, I really wanted Love to that. be more than that. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to see this company rise above my station, rise above my, you know, capability. So I def- I just really define leadership now as loving and serving my people toward their fulfillment. Love that. Um, and that shift was really to become employee centric, mm-hmm. um, really allow them uh, to show up in ways that maybe they are too afraid of. Uh, maybe they don't know that they can, uh, but really uh, allowing them uh, to just uh, show uh, in incredible ways that take the company far further uh, than I could ever take it on my own. I love that, dude. And you definitely, you nailed it on the head. I remember, do you ever work with Tony Robbins, any of his stuff? I have, yes. Okay, so I came back from my first UPW and I was I was a changed man, let's put it that way, right? And I realized that I was so focused on, to your point earlier, focused on myself and not so much as the team and all that. And and I said, you know, something's got to change. The contribution side of my world was not existent when it came to like helping other groups or causes or anything like that. It was just about me making it. It was just about our team right. not burning out or running out of cash. And when I came back from that event and realized that we need to be giving well beyond because the more we give, the more we have space to get, right? So we got to keep giving. You got and uh, I remember coming back and sitting down with Becky uh, office or my uh, director of operations at the time. And she's, you know, I said, look, what we need to do immediately is stipend a certain amount of money that we're going to give away. And I'm not going to tell you where we're going to give it. There are a couple of rules we'll put around it, meaning, hey, we want to make sure that every dollar goes to the person or the group. Uh, we want to make sure that it's local, supporting local. And they're the only two rules. Find a, a yeah. charity. Here's X amount of dollars. Find a charity and you give. Don't put my name on it. You give. And every year we're going to do this. We're going to continue to do this because the more we give, the more we can create. And that changed everything, dude. To your point, it changed it all when we started to focus on, all right, how do we help? And everyone has giving deep in their heart. And if the business can become yes. a vehicle to help them get to their life's goals and missions and open up their heart in a bigger way, because maybe they couldn't do that on their own, but a business has more resources, so maybe it can, right? Yeah. And having more of that, because at the end of the day, leadership to me is influence, right? And you're already doing that with your people. It's all yeah. about influence. It's not control. It's none of those things. It's influence. No. It's all you got is influence. And if you're not... If you think you want to be the one controlling every single piece and that's your idea, that's your criteria for success or leadership, then you're going to have a lot of pain because you can't control shit, right? right. At the end of the day, it's all an illusion. So if your focus is only on helping people to your point and empowering them and influencing them to become the best versions of themselves, how likely do you think it is that people are going to stick around for that mission, that vision? That's right. Yeah. They, they won't or they won't uh, or they'll show up in ways that they feel like they have permission to show up. Yeah. Um, and that was really a, a lesson I had to learn was that, you know, I, I know myself, I look at myself in the mirror every single day and I'm like, you're just a big goofball idiot. Like you don't really know it. You know, every day is an adventure. You have no idea what you're doing. You just kind of, you get out there, you're willing to take shots and some stuff happens uh, and works and some doesn't. Then there are, are conversations I'm a part of where people are like, oh yeah, so-and-so, they're so intimidated by you. And I'm like, literally are you kidding me yeah so there's this realization that there's a power dynamic uh in any relationship especially at work um and so just realizing um that that power 
dynamic exists, whether I want to acknowledge it or not. I want to be one of the guys. I just want to be one of the team, one of the crew. Mm -hmm. But I'm not. I'm the owner. I'm the founder. Um, And so recognizing that that power exists, uh, working every day not to abuse it uh, has been one of the ways that we've been able to kind of create a lot of cohesion uh, within the organizations uh, that I own and, and operate. Um, we talk about this idea of as leaders showing up every day to trade my power for my people's greatness. I love that. Um, and wow. that's a tough trade um, because that really takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of trust um, and it and it really um, takes just a, a lot of intentionality because I just don't think about it uh, in that regard uh, most of the time. I think we're all in this together. And they're thinking, man, I hope he likes me. I hope he's happy with what I'm doing. And yeah. uh, I hope I can get that promotion or that salary bump or whatever. They're they're in their own. They're the the main character of their own movie. Yep. And so what we talk about is like this idea of showing up, this trading for the, your power for their greatness really is about um, really wanting every day to be the, the greatest protagonist of, of everybody else's life movie um, instead of always being the main character. Which we tend to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're honest. We we're, we're typically the main character of the story of our own lives. Uh, but what if we were that person on screen that was like everybody cheered for that person um, because they were so supportive, so helpful, so um, endearing uh, to the main character? Um, what if that was how we led? Um, and really, it's it's allowed organizations, our organizations, to flourish uh, because we do have psychological ownership amongst all of our employees. Uh, toward where we're going and why. I love that, dude. It's so, so important to have a clear vision of where you're going and then to empower people. And one of my favorite questions to ask when something comes up and, you know, a team member is like, what should we do? I said, I don't know. What do you think? What would you mm-hmm. do? Right? Let Absolutely. them own the outcome. Right? And are they, That's right. Chris, are they always going to make the right decision? No. No. Do they learn faster when they make a decision and throw <laughs> and then they'll do it again? Yes. Yeah. That's, That's how huge. Huge. Give them the yep. space. We're all human. I've made more mistakes than I can write a book in, right? Yep. So if, exactly. if, if I'm a flawed human like the rest of them, what's to say that they aren't less flawed in some areas or maybe more? We won't know until we ask. That's so right. the question always is, well, what do you think we should do? As opposed yeah. to being the leader saying, this is what we got to do. Like the vision, the keeper, the responsibility of the vision is us. We have to make sure that the boat's going in the right direction, captain the ship. Yep. But we don't have to sit there and dictate to all of our team members exactly what to do. So if you give them some space, no. you're going to be amazed by how much smarter they are than you. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? right. That's right. That takes a little bit yeah, of a, a always, drink of, of humility, though, a little slice of humble pie there. <laughs> it does. I, I, my goal is to always be the dumbest person on the room, yeah. um, uh, surround myself with with amazing people. And so I, I have three phrases that I, and we, I talk about this in the book, three phrases that are now part of my discipline, uh, daily discipline uh, to trade my power uh, for their greatness, uh, to really exercise vulnerability. One is I'm sorry. Um, it, it's such a powerful, uh, useful thing to yep. say and mean it. Genuinely be sorry for either situations you put them in, situations the clients have put us in, situation the economy has put us in, whatever it is, just just own it. Just be like, hey man, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, the next one is I don't know. Um, you know, th- these are questions I get all the time where I'm like, I kind of do know, or at least I think I know. But instead of being the first person to speak, as Simon Sinek says, be the last yep. to speak. And a great way to do that is just to be like, hey, I don't know. What do you like, think? What do you guys think? Yeah. yeah. What, 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 how, how would you solve this? Um, and then, like you said, you just guide them uh, to land the plane uh, in a way that makes the most sense to them rather this 
uh, rather than them trying to execute your idea, they're, they're really executing their idea, um, which is so much more uh, powerful. And the last phrase that I try to use all the time is, uh, I need your help. Um, that's probably the toughest one uh, for me mm. is to constantly be uh, asking for people for help since I, I feel like my strength of character is to help other people. Yeah. Um, and so when I have to say, I need your help, it's like, oh gosh, you know, yeah. um, I should know the answers to this. Uh, I should, I should already be able to, to solve this problem. And so to ask for that help just feels a little painful, but it does feel vulnerable. Um, but it, man, it allows them to really, uh, thrive, uh, in their role. It does. And it builds a bit of a, a vacuum, a space for them to grow, right? If we're taking up exactly. that space and we aren't willing to be vulnerable and say, you know what? I don't know. You know, I, I please yeah. help me. You know, they never get the opportunity to really audition or do their thing, right? And that's where that's vacations right. are greater when you take some time out or peace out from the business. They have to fill the vacuum that you've created. And then you start Absolutely. to see this incredible growth in them. And there's going to be some pitfalls too. They got to learn just like anybody else. You know, I have two young yeah. boys. I'm very blessed to have two young boys. And it's been, I've learned this mostly through raising kids is, you know, to give them space and teach them and give them the direction and let them figure it out. You know, my, my youngest, that's right. My youngest, he, uh, he's always been very, very much fond of fire, right? So at five years old, <laughs> he's super excited. He's out making like little uh, campfires and things outside and he'd like to burn things. And we'd work on that and teach him what's good and what's bad and all that. And then he says, Papa, it's I want a blowtorch. I'm like, kid, you're five years old. I want a benzomatic <laughs> blowtorch. He says to me, and I was like, hmm, at this point as a father, I could say, no, you're too young for that. Or we could learn. So I said, sure, no problem. Got him benzomatic blowtorch. And we, I taught him exactly how it worked, what side not to grab, where not to start fires, all that stuff. And then I watched. And I watched him grab the hot end. Then I watched him do things that weren't smart. And he learned. Yep. And now at the age of 13, he runs his Boy Scout troop. He is the most responsible kid I've ever seen with fire. Unbelievably yeah. responsible. He always has a garden hose next to it or a bucket of water, things that I never even think about. He has, he's, but he can think through it because he had the space to grow. I didn't sit there and hover. I'm That's not a right. hover parent. I don't build a rubber room for my kids to live in. They bounce off the ground, right? Like right. Giving them that space is the most humane thing you can do for them to learn. Yeah. And now they're responsible with that, especially him with the fire, because I know that he knows what is good and bad with it. So when he goes off, I'm going to go start a fire. All right, cool. I have no doubt that he knows exactly what he's doing. But giving the space, I needed to create that vacuum for him to yeah. learn. And I just watched at a distance, a little further, a little further, a little further. And eventually he's on his own. That's what we need to do with our employees too and our team members. We can teach them, we Absolutely. can direct them, we can do all this wonderful stuff, but they need to have that vacuum. So if you're hovering and you're constantly there and you have this ego trip where you've got to be the one always there, you are yep. always going to be needed and you will never vilify yourself. And exactly. you'll never get to a space where you can actually own a business. You're going to own your job for the rest of the life. So that's right. I'd love to talk, Chris, to you. If you have any starter steps for people listening out there, that might be exactly like I was only a few years ago when it came yeah. to this constantly being needed to be needed, right? I just wanted to be needed constantly. And step away was an identity shift for me as well. And to your point earlier about rejection, I think that's one of our biggest fears, especially as men is to be rejected. Because if we're rejected, then we're not going to be loved. And we all just want to be loved yes. at the end of the day, right? So I have a deep-seated fear of rejection as well. So, or had, I should say, that's been, uh, you know, dissipating over time as I'm doing the deeper work. But the point is that I'd love for you to have maybe some steps out of the book or something that people that are yeah. starting out, how do they get started where they can start having a more, uh, you know, team-centric focus of the business and empower their teams and get the hell out of the way so they can finally start enjoying their life? Yeah. 
Absolutely. So one of the first things I would do is really kind of wrestle with the the paradox that exists um, around necessity. So the way we talk about it is um, if you're necessary, that means that everyone else uh, is unnecessary. Um, and so just changing that paradigm in your own head, or at least start to, is really, really uh, critical. One way that I do that uh, is uh, through the calendar. Um, and so as you kind of take steps towards uh, unnecessary, um, the way I would do that is really kind of look through your day. Um, uh, again, looking through what meetings you're attending, um, study those agendas and study the people that are going to be attending uh, those meetings. It's, it's one of the things that I start every morning uh, is to uh, review uh, what those meetings look like, what those agendas are, and who's going to be there. And then two things need to happen. One is, um, it, is it necessary for me to be at that meeting? Th that's a really important uh, question to ask yourself. Um, do I need to be there? Um, or do I need to let these folks kind of figure it out uh, and then present me with the results of that meeting? Yeah, um, That's a really great way uh, to start stepping away. Um, the other one is to just review the people um, and, and start going through your mind. Like, what are their life circumstances right now? Um, I, I just kind of say meditate on your people and where they are and just kind of think through from their perspective. How certain are they that they're doing a great job in your eyes? Um, what are they walking into this meeting fearing, uh, hoping for? Um, and how can I show up uh, in the most significant way possible for them uh, in that particular meeting? So those would be two things I would just say, uh, really good ways for you practically to take, take steps towards becoming unnecessary uh, by building up, uh, again, calling out the greatness uh, in your people. Yeah, I love that. And, and another great way I'll add to that is leave. <laughs> You're going to find out what yeah. works and what doesn't work. Just take a week off yes. with no connection yeah. and see what falls apart. And then you know where you need to focus and keep yeah. doing that over and yeah. over again. And you will start and it, you, will, you know, it'll, it'll be a problem. You'll fix it. The other problems will show up and eventually you'll find that the problems are less and less and less and less and less. But it takes the guts to do it the first time. You know, yep, and absolutely. Uh, I know for many years, I know a lot of contractors listen to this podcast. And I know for many years, I always thought I need to be on the job site like almost every day because those guys are out there yeah. working, big mistakes, it's going to cost me money. So I had this constant anxiety that I needed to be on site, constantly be there, you know, making sure everybody does everything right physically. And some of our projects could be two hours from our office, right? So that was an entire day yeah. in the car and it was an entire day shot in the ass. And then I'm like, I can't get anything done. I wonder why. Because to your point, looking at the calendar, <laughs> do I need to be doing this? Do I personally need to be there? And then obviously right. technology comes along and, and now I'm like, all right, if you have an issue, let's FaceTime. Send me pictures. Send me a video. Like I'm not leaving my office. Yeah. So we, we instituted what we call a zero drive time policy, which means that we only drive when we absolutely has to, have to and that technology will not do what we need it to do um, so that we don't have all that wasted time because all that time, that windshield time is... It's, it's a waste. It's things you aren't doing. You're not yeah. working on your business. You're not even working in it at that point. You're practically just driving, listening to the radio. Um, and for sometimes, yep. dude, there was many times that I was like, you know what? I can't wait to get out of the office. I just want to listen to the radio and drive to the job site. I need to break <laughs> from this. I get that. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, at the end of the day, the goal here is to own a business, not to own yeah. a job. And the first steps in that is to start working on trust. Trusting other people can do a job equal to or better than you. And then to empower them. That's and right. I know we don't sign up as business owners to become, you know, uh, cheerleaders for people. We just sign up as business owners to make more money than we could make working for somebody and make our own rules, right? That's really the goal of it all. Yeah. But along the way, we realize that that's not really what we're doing. Really, at the end of the day, we become coaches for people. And then we, they yeah. don't show up. They do show up. They've got life problems. They got all that happens. And all of a sudden, we're not, you know, we're not really 
set up for that yet because we just want to own a business and make more money. And eventually exactly. you realize either if you don't realize this, you're out of business eventually or by yourself. And when you do realize what Chris is talking about and you start saying, wait a minute, what if I just learned how to help people become better versions of themselves through the business? That, exactly. That's a different identity though, right? I'm not a business owner anymore. Now I'm a coach and I'm a helper and I'm a team member and I'm like all that you become one of them as opposed to being better than them. So I love that's the way right. that you're unpacking that. And so, um, so the book looks like it comes out in October. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And where can people find the book? Uh, they can connect to us through dcxcommunity.com and then also chrismurroff.com. Got it. Okay. The name of that book again is? Uh, well, ironically, we're actually changing the name of the book. It's actually going to be called The Empathy Revolution. Nice. I love that. I liked it even better than the first yeah. one. So take me yeah. a little bit into empathy uh, for listeners out there. This is something as a male that took me a long time. Women get this right away. Us guys, we're just very much practical thinkers. Get it done, get it done, get it yeah. done. And empathy is That's foreign right. to us. So take me into empathy a little bit here as we wrap up. Yeah, um, there's this concept uh, around emotion. And again, for me, emotion is just, uh, again, personally, it felt like a sign of weakness mm. uh, to be stuck in any kind of emotion. And so I would want to just figure out a way not to feel uh, that thing, whatever it was. I really operated in happy, sad, mad. And even that I didn't want to, it's like, let me just get to a neutral state. Yeah. Um, so first, uh, really empathy is, is understanding that emotions are good. Like those are good things. Um, uh, that's how we cope with the world is, is through emotion and really talking through those emotions, kind of bringing things out into the open or how we're able to heal, how we're able to move on, uh, truly from, uh, these emotions. And so empathy, all it really is, is if somebody brings to you something that's sad to them and they they're like hey i'm feeling very sad about it um is for you to find a time remember a time in your life where you felt sad and enter into sadness uh with them uh, don't try to fix it don't try to solve the problem don't try to explain to them why they don't need to feel sad uh, or afraid or any other emotion but simply just be sad with them and in that there's this thing that happens uh psychologically so when we, when we feel high emotion, we move to the lizard part of our brain. We, we go to the fight or flight. Um, and so when you're in that thinking, uh, you really can't um, uh, really, Im, Im really use logic. Um, so what happens is we're, we're kind of in that state of like instinct. And what you need to do is to kind of enter into that state with somebody in order for them to, to not feel like they're alone. Once they don't feel like they're alone emotionally, they'll actually naturally come out of that state yeah. uh, psychologically. And once they're out of that state, then they're going to go to you and say, okay, well, now what do I do with this situation? Love it. And now you can empower them uh, to go forward. But empathy is such a powerful tool because uh, it requires a lot of bit, a lot of patience, a lot of love, a lot of sacrifice, at least from my part, it does. Because it does Ooh. come naturally. I want to solve problems quickly. Yep. Um, but what it does is it allows them to actually uh, listen or hear you uh, when you're able to empower them uh, beyond that, certain, uh, that circumstance. I love how you said that. It's so true. If a you know, problem comes up and you look at the person and be like, hey, here's how you solve it. And you've never even acknowledged their emotion, especially a female, doesn't have to be, but feminine energy, right? Um, and you, you just say, here's how you solve it. They don't feel heard or understood. So if you start off right. simply with an empathetic uh, you know, entry by saying, hey, I totally understand how you can feel this way. This must suck. Um, you know, I've, I've been there before or I wish I, I hope I never have to get there. But let's think about yeah. how we can solve this problem now. So you see how you kind of leveled, not leveled down, I'm sorry, but, you know, sadness is a lower uh, vibrational emotion. And so, you know, you kind of level down to where they are. You're having a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. You're not dictating at them. You're in the game with them. That's right. 
so important. Yeah. Even clients, you know, you have clients or or customers right. that are like, I've had that before where, I mean, been doing this over 25 years now, you know, some clients just aren't happy at times, right? It happens. So what are you going to do? Right. First of all, I always say, give yeah. them a half hour to simmer down because they're only going to hit you with all the emotions and that's not any, there's no logic in those. So give them some time to simmer and then call them and say, hey, I totally understand what's going on or I, I, I'm here to listen. Please let me know. Tell me your story. What's going on? And let them completely divulge everything from their point of view. That gives you a better idea of what angle and you get into their world. You get an idea. That's yeah. empathy in the beginning. It's so important as opposed to getting on the call and being like, you're an asshole. I mowed this. Yeah. You're wrong. Like yeah. that doesn't work. Just stop and say, no. tell me your, tell, tell me what's going on. Let them talk first. That's right. Because they're going to solve most of your problems with them talking. Just say, hey, exactly. sorry you're going through this. Fill me in what's going on and let them just, and they're going to dump all kinds of nastiness on it. It's okay. Because they, just like all storms run out of rain, they will run out of words and eventually they'll feel yep. better and then you can come to the other side of that. But you landed where they are, not trying to push back yeah. against and saying their emotions, to your point, that their emotions are 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 not valid or not understood right. or not felt. It's important to meet them where they are. Yeah, it's so true. It, it really de-escalates. Um, most situations, uh, way faster than logic will, uh, it's really kind of entering into that emotion with them. Yeah. And so for me, I didn't, because I, I tried to bury or, or really not have any emotions most of my life. It took a recataloging, um, of, uh, events in my life. Um, and so to be able to go back and like find, I, I, I was so emotionally unintelligent. I, I didn't even know what a lot of the words meant, uh, emotional words again, happy, sad, mad, but really my only frame of reference. Cool. Um, but my wife used a lot more words than I do as it relates to emotion. So I had to go back and catalog uh, my life, which is a lot of work, a lot of introspection. It's, it's a, it's something I'm still, again, I still have a long way to go, but there are now moments I can remember as a child or as a young adult, um, where that emotion, uh, was present. And so it's not just a matter of remembering it. Now I've got to actually bring it back up and enter into that emotion, um, so that I can feel what they're feeling. Yeah. Um, it, instead of feeling bad for what they're feeling, which is more sympathy, I, I want to enter into the actual emotion that they're feeling. Uh, and that's, that's what the uh, empathy is and the power of empathy. Cause it really, what it does is it destroys loneliness and isolation. Absolutely. Um, and that's the first step. Um, there is strength in numbers. And so once you're able to kind of enter into that with them, it gives them a place to start from uh, to solve some of these uh, these issues and these problems. Yeah, a lot of times those problems seem to the person that has them as unsolvable, right? There's these big yeah, unsolvable problems they don't know. Say you're doing a project or you're working with a client doing anything and they don't know your world <laughs> like you do and you see 15 ways <laughs> out right. of it and they don't. All they see is a massive problem that there's no way out of. It's unsolvable. So they come at you yeah. with the, the, the fury and the fervor of, oh my God, I'm going to get screwed here. And you're like, dude, there's yeah. like... 14 ways we can get out of this thing, but they don't know that. But if you say that to them and they no. feel like you haven't taken that emotion in with them, say, hey, I totally understand. You know, it's empathy first, always. Hey, I totally understand. Let's talk through this. We'll figure out a way out, okay? There's always a way out. Yeah. It puts them at ease. Like you're listening and your your tonalities come down. You know, we do a lot of sales training. So it's tonalities come down to where they are. You don't try to, you know, you you try to match, of course, but the goal is to match and bring them down to a level that's, that's yeah. manageable. Right. And, and, and not trying to manipulate, but simply trying to understand and listen with your That's ears, it. you know, not just hear, but listen what they're saying. So important. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. Well, dude, I could talk to you all day about this type of subject and this, this, uh, content. So guys, if you need the, if you want to get the book, it's out there again, one more time, the new name of it and where they can get it. Uh, the empathy revolution, uh, dcx 
uh, that'll be uh, released in October. Also, we have our conference uh, coming up in October. Um, uh, we have uh, Tim Tebow speaking, Pat Lencioni will be there, John Acuff, uh, Dr. John Deloney, and Vanessa Van Edwards, an all-star lineup. Uh, and so for your listeners, if they want to attend that or even uh, uh, really be able to watch the live stream, uh, they can use a promo code called uh, DCX Unity. That's DCX Unity. We'll give them a 15% discount on that live stream. Awesome. And where can they find that? Uh, uh, is, that is that on your website for that? Uh, that's event? also dcxcommunity.com. Awesome. Yes. That sounds like quite the lineup, dude. I'm definitely going to check that out. I love those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Come join us live in Austin. It'll be a great event. Awesome. I appreciate it, sir. Um, so if anybody wants to reach out you, to you directly, is there an easy way for them, Instagram or Facebook or anything like that? Yeah. Uh, ChrisMoroff.com is the best way. And from there, uh, all of the different social media, they can uh, find me uh, from that website. Got it. So appreciate you coming on, Chris. And guys out there and girls out there listening, it's about empowering your team. There is so much gold that you have in mind within your team. The biggest the secret of all of this is get the hell out of the way. Let them come in. Let them come in and show their their God given gifts, and let them just uh, you know explode within that space. And you know what? You might find people are in the right spot. Maybe they're not. Maybe they need a little shift to the left. And the next thing you know, you'll have a much better, more well oiled machine, and uh, everyone's going to be then pulling a lot harder and driving toward that uh, clearer mission as you start to develop it over time. So, Chris, thank you for coming on, and uh, everyone else, see you next week. 